welcome to the Thankful Homemaker podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We are on episode 138, and we are working through today Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and it's titled, Judge Not That You Not Be Judged. I so wrestled with this title, and I ended up here. I had speck and log, or speck log and hypocrites, or removing the log from your eye, or judge not with like question marks after it, but how to judge and how not to judge. This title, it took me way longer than it needed to to decide on it, but we are continuing on through our Sermon on the Mount series, and we made it to chapter seven. The crowd cheers, woo-woo. I don't have all those fun sound effects some people do, but truly, we are working and continuing through this series, and I am loving it, and I pray that you are too. This is another one of my favorite sections of the sermon, and it's also one of the most misquoted texts of scripture. So I'm looking forward to working through it in our time together today. And before we get started, I really want to thank you, my dear friend, for being here. I I couldn't do what I do here without you. I so love and enjoy sharing gospel-centered encouragement to homemakers. So thank you so, so much for being a blog supporter here by listening in, by reading, by watching on YouTube, by sharing the blog with your friends. I'm super grateful to be able to keep the content on the blog and podcast free. And I just want to ask you, if you are getting value out of your time with me, would you consider just making a one-time donation or maybe becoming a monthly supporter of Thankful Homemaker at Patreon? As a monthly supporter, you get exclusive content about the blog and a little insight into my family life, and along with access to a private community with, with content that's there to encourage you in your homemaking. Your support is a huge help to cover the cost of keeping the blog and podcast up and running. I don't. I think sometimes we kind of forget that these things do have a cost to them to, to do, um, and you're also supporting what I do here. So you can find out more if you're interested at thankfulhomemaker.com backslash support. So in our, um, basically in our previous episode, we finished up chapter six and we addressed struggling with our worry or anxiety and how when we have our mind focused wrongly, we're not going to be rightly seeing God and we're not going to be able to serve him. So today we're going to walk through several areas in this text and we're going to look at what Jesus means when he tells us not to judge and why we shouldn't wrongly judge others. And which really means here that we're going to deal with those ugly, critical, condemning, and judgmental spirits that we all deal with at times, whether we're the ones doing the criticizing, condemning, and judging or someone else's. But but mostly we're going to look at us as we remove that, that log or that beam from our eyes. And we're going to work through how to judge correctly. And then we're going to finish in verse 6 of Matthew 7 with why spiritual discernment is so important. So let me read our text today. Um, I'm starting in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the ESV. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, you can see where I got my creative title there from our very first verse. But let me just read Matthew 7, 1 through 2, where we're going to begin here. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we all know that if, especially if you've been a Christian for any time, how often we hear or see this verse being interpreted incorrectly. Many read it and just say we should never judge anyone or ever exercise any critical judgment or discernment or um, I, I know for me, I clung to this verse as a non-believer, and it was probably my only memory verse before I was saved. Well, we know that's not what Jesus is saying if we just read the rest of this passage alone, right? In Matthew 7, 6, it says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So we clearly need discernment or good judgment of who are the dogs and who are the pigs just by simply looking at that text there. And then further down in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 15 to 20, we're going to need to be able to judge in the proper way against false prophet, false prophets. So we know just from these two sections of scripture alone in Matthew chapter 7, that there's a time to judge and a right way to judge. And there's many other passages in scripture too. And if I remember to do that, I'll link some of them in the show notes if you want to take a peek. Um, we also don't want to fall into the camp of never rightly judging or exercising proper discernment. Goodness, we, we live in a world where you're torn to pieces, right? If you speak out on homosexuality being a sin or abortion being murder or transgenderism going against God's design of a man and a woman. Our Kent Hughes, he stated, and he was commenting on how the world just adores a non-judgmental person. He said, the ideal Christian, and especially the ideal clergyman, is an undiscerning, flabby, indulgent, all-accepting jellyfish who lives out the misinterpretation of judge not. All right, so we don't want to find ourselves judging wrongly or never judging correctly. We're called to exercise proper, critical judgment. So what does that look like? It's been said that a discerning spirit is constructive and a hypercritical spirit is destructive. So we need to be on the constructive side. We don't want to find ourselves focusing on matters of little importance and turn these little issues into ones of major importance. And I'm just going to throw a few areas here where we might find ourselves judging. These are, this is not exhaustive and some of them will not pertain to all of us, but where we might find ourselves being critical of others. It could be schooling choices or how they discipline their children or to vaccinate or not vaccinate or the type of car they drive or the clothes they wear or the Bible translation they use, the foods they eat. I think you're kind of getting the idea here. You fill in the blank in whatever areas where you tend to see a self-righteous attitude rearing its ugly head, all right, in your own life there. Romans 14 it's a good chapter. Chapter. I am just slurring my words here today, and I'm doing this in the morning even. I'm so sorry. Romans 14, it's a good chapter to camp in if you find yourself judging others regarding matters like food and drink and regarding certain days above others. These are, They're not essential matters, and there are essential matters, but we don't want to err and turn these lesser matters into matters of importance. David Guzik, he had some helpful insight on this passage. And this is a longer quote I'm sharing, but I really appreciate it. And I'm going to put the whole quote in the show notes too. He said, this is the Bible verse that seems to be most popular in our present day. But most, most of the people who quote this verse don't understand what Jesus said. 
They seem to think Jesus commanded a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or teaching. If we see what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15 to 16, he commands us to know people by the fruit of their life, and some sort of assessment is necessary for that. The Christian is called to unconditionally love, but the Christian is not called to unconditional approval. We really can love people who do things that should not be approved of. Instead, Jesus is speaking against being judgmental, that is, judging motives and the inner man, which only God can know. We can judge the fruit of a man, but we can rarely judge their motives with accuracy. Jesus does not prohibit judgment of others. He only requires that our judgment be completely fair and that we only judge others by a standard we would also like to be judged by. He continues here, he says, most of our judgment in regard to others is wrong, not because we judge according to a standard, but because we are hypocritical in the application of that standard. We ignore the standard in our own life. We judge others by one standard and ourselves by another standard, being far more generous to ourselves than others. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And he says, according to the teaching of some rabbis in Jesus's time, God had two measures that he used to judge people. One was a measure of justice and the other was a measure measure of mercy. Which measure do you want God to use with you, he says? Then you should use that same measure with others, end quote there. But so we really want to find ourselves slow in judging others and quick in judging ourselves because as he stated there, it's usually the other way around. In our verse um, 7-2 here, it says, we will be judged with the same judgment we pronounce. So when we set ourselves as a judge over others, we're going to be judged by the same measure. And it's not by other men that's the concern. God is the judge. I appreciated Sinclair Ferguson's take on this. He was reminding us that in chapter 5 in the sermon that it emphasized the coming of the kingdom and its implications, especially in relation to the law of God. And then in chapter 6, it emphasized the fatherhood of God and the freedom, the knowledge of it gives. And and then he, he was reminding us here in chapter 7 now, it's emphasizing the judgment of God and the impact that that makes on the way that we live now as believers, as being in Christ, as being born again. If we are those that have repented of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that has to be the underlying key to understanding this sermon and living it out, okay? This is not for the non-believer. This is for the believer, So God as our father and judge, they go hand in hand. He's both. And Sinclair Ferguson, he said that the terrible thing for the unbeliever is that he, referring to God, is both. Because when the unbeliever rejects his judgment in his life, he rejects God as his father too. So now he encounters him as judge. But again, in Christ, as we work through this passage of scripture, we see him as both. And and now how seeing him as judge, as we're working through it in this text, this makes us want to address our sin and deal with it. It helps us to be merciful with others as we've been shown mercy. We still need to address the aspect of God as our judge. So what does that mean for us as believers, especially for eternity? Let's think that through because we're being prepared for the final judgment here, even as Christians in our time on this earth. We don't tend to think of that reality, but it, but it's true. And I, I'm saying that because I know I don't all the time. I was really thankful to work through this. And 
um, as I was putting this episode together, I came across a really good quote from R. Kent Hughes, and I want to share it. This was really helpful for me to understand it clearly. So he said, there are two eternal judgments. One is the separation of believers and non-believers, the sheep from the goats. And he's referencing there Matthew 25, 31 to 46. He says, true believers, of course, are the sheep who will go to be with God and who will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive their proper rewards. There, God will judge us as we've judged others. Judgmental believers will still go to be with God forever, but they will have very little reward for their hypercritical spirit will have vitiated, or that means destroyed, much of the good they had done. Very few of us dare to pray, God, judge me as I judge my fellow men and women. Our Lord means to put a holy fear in us so we will put away our critical hearts. God is going to judge us as we judge others. The tone of our life is going to become the tone of our judgment. All right, end quote. So my friend, we don't want to be those who have this overly critical spirit. We don't want to be those self-righteous Pharisees who see the faults of others and don't see their own faults. We don't want to be those people who only seem happy when they're finding fault in others or happy when we hear something unpleasant about another person or we determine that our opinion is right and we don't even have all the facts of the situation. When we do this, we're being those self-righteous Pharisees again and we've condemned ourselves with our judging. But these lovely words, but God, but God, those words we cannot hear enough of, right? We can't stand before God in our own righteousness, but only being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So praise God for the gospel. I needed that reminder here that in Christ, we pass from judgment into life. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But this does not mean we live however we want now that we're Christians. Our desire as those who are known by God and have him as our father, now it should be one of living a life that's pleasing to him and rightly judging others is one area that we need to be pleasing to him in. (laughs) So we're going to keep working through this passage together. Jesus moves on in the text to tell us how to rightly judge. And listen here, do you hear a little bit of sarcasm in this text? Matthew 7, 3 through 5 reads, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's two words that kind of stand out, at least to me here in that passage. It's the speck and the log. And a speck is defined in the Greek there as like a piece of sawdust. And the definition for log here is like a piece of heavy timber, such as a beam used in roof construction or to like a a barn door. Okay, get that visual in your mind, okay? Or to bar a door, I should say. Get that visual in your mind, right? Someone with this beam in their eye trying to remove a speck of sawdust from someone else's eye. It's That's just not happening. (laughs) Jesus is clearly reminding us that we tend to be much more tolerant of our own sin than we are to the sin of others. And what's interesting is how hateful we are of our own faults when we see them in others. Our Kent Hughes stated, this is a great little quote, he says, we find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin while we look at ours through the wrong end of a telescope. So we can be so quick to judge others, right? And their motives 
and not assume the best. Very simple here, or at least the solution seems so simple. It doesn't always work that way in our lives. But Jesus wants us to help each other in this area of dealing with and seeing and putting off these sins in our lives. That's a good thing. We want to do that to one another, right? We want to encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. But we need to get that log or beam or plank out of our own eye before we can help somebody else. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his chapter on this text, he had some really good insights. He, this, this particular chapter was broken into a couple chapters, so it was a couple different sermons he did on it. I know I recommend his book all the time, but it's so good to read along with this. It's Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. I always link it in the show notes so it's easy to find, but check. That's one. Put on your wish list, um, and if you have it and you've not yet, read it along with these chapters in the text. But he said here, he said, our own condition is such that we are quite incapable of helping others. We affect, we affect to be very concerned about these people and their faults. And we try to give the impression that we are concerned only about their good. We say that we're troubled about this little blemish that's in them and that we are anxious to get rid of this moat. But, says our Lord, you cannot do it because it's such a delicate process. The beam that's in your own eye makes you incapable of doing so. He then gives us what he calls a ridiculous picture of a blind optometrist. He calls it an oculus, but it would be like our optometrist today, trying to remove a speck out of someone's eye. He can't do it. And then he reminds us that if we're going to remove this tiny speck out of the sensitive eye of this person, we need to make sure that our eye is quite clear. So Jesus refers to us as hypocrites in verse five there, he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. <clears throat> and the um, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones states, he says, the fact of the matter is that we're not really concerned about helping this other person. We are only interested in condemning him. We pretend to have, this is a super convicting quote, guys. We pretend to have this great interest. We pretend that we are very distressed at finding this blemish, but in reality, as our Lord has already shown us, and this is the horrible part, we are really glad to discover it. It's hypocrisy. He continues, he says, our Lord says, if you really want to help other people, if you are genuine and true in this matter, there are certain things you have to do yourself. First, and we must notice this, first, cast the beam out of thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. And so what Dr. Jones is conveying here, and more importantly, what Jesus is conveying to us is this, our hypercritical spirits and our wrong judging attitudes are a beam in our eye. And we need to begin looking in the mirror, examining ourselves and addressing our own spirit. We need to be dealing with the truth about ourselves. Dr. Lloyd Jones gave a great recommendation. He said to read 1 Corinthians 13 every day. That's a great chapter to memorize and meditate on frequently, and it's a great way to examine your heart attitude towards other people. He reminded us that when we're rightly examining our hearts against the truth of God's word, when we're getting honest about ourselves and our sin, then we're going to be on the right path to getting that beam out of our eye. So when we're seeing ourselves and our sin rightly, when we're broken by our sin, when we're in that place of humility, we're going to be in a place to remove the speck from our brother's eye. And let me just tell you, like, think about this in your own home. Then you'll be at a place to remove the speck from your husband's eye or your children's, right? Those are really good reminders to be in a place of humility and broken by your own sin before you go to remove that speck from those especially closest to us, because that could be the most 
the ones that that really that we cause the most problems with, I should say, when we go to do that, when that beam is in our eye and we're going to remove the sin from theirs. So we know how sensitive of an organ the eye is. Jesus uses this analogy for a good reason. One commentator stated, he said, the image of the eye teaches us another truth. We must exercise love and tenderness when we seek to help others. He's referencing Ephesians 4.15 there. He said, I have had extensive eye examinations and once had surgery to remove an embedded speck of steel, and I appreciated the tenderness of the physicians. Like eye doctors, we should minister to people we want to help with tender, loving care. We can do more damage than a speck of dirt in the eye if we approach others with impatience and insensitivity. With this quote I just read, and and on your mind right now. I want you to listen to Dr. Lloyd-Jones here. He said, this was really impactful to me. My husband and I were going somewhere and I was sharing this quote with him. He said, you are going to handle a soul. You are going to touch the most sensitive thing in man. How can we get the little mode out? There is only one thing that matters at that point, and that is you should be humble. You should be sympathetic. You should be so conscious of your own sin and your own unworthiness that when you find it in another, far from condemning, you feel like weeping. You are full of sympathy and compassion. You really do want to help. You have so enjoyed getting rid of the thing in yourself that you want him to have the same pleasure and joy. You cannot be a spiritual oculist until you yourself have clear vision. So Jesus has been telling us not to judge, how to remove the speck from our eye before we remove the log out of our brothers. And and we will be judged with the same judgment we judge. And then we come here to verse 6 in Matthew 7. And it says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So we know as believers that we're called to have discernment. We know that the church is to proper to practice proper church discipline. We know we need to call out and avoid false teachers, right? So this is an important verse that Jesus ends this passage with here. It's an important ending to this passage on judging because without it, our churches would fall into so much error. There would be chaos in them. The, The truth of the Christian message is at stake here. The holy thing or the pearl here is the message of the kingdom. And when we see the term dog used here, we need to know that in Palestine at the time, to- at that time, a dog was a fierce animal. It was a scavenger of the village. It's not the little puppy all cute and cuddly sitting on your lap there right now. <laughs> this dog, the verse is referring to, would tear you to pieces. And we know to the Jews at that time, a pig, that stood for all that was unclean. We have so many examples in scripture of Jesus dealing with different people. We, we see the difference in how he addressed the Pharisees compared to the woman caught in sin. Jesus never wavered on truth, but he dealt with people in different ways. And the apostles even give us some examples. I think here of Acts 18.6, where the apostle Paul was testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And in 18.6 there in Acts, he says, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So what does this look like for us? The, the whole Sermon on the Mount is meant for us as Christians in all times, this verse included. I'm, I'm kind of moving through this verse quickly, and I'm giving it an overview, but I encourage you to do some digging on your own on it too. Not, not every commentator I read 
even dealt with this verse when I was going through this text. Some even just, they skipped right over it. I was about, I was processing doing that, but I wanted a better, because it's a little challenging, but I wanted a better understanding of it for myself. And this is not exhaustive. So again, if you want to dig more, please do that. Um, I encourage you to do that. Dr. Lloyd-Jones is one in his studies on the Sermon on the Mount is one I landed on and his explanation was lengthy and I, I want to share a few of the main points with you and it was it had some different things that I have never heard about in this verse. I had in my mind what I thought the verse meant and it, it does mean that what I was thinking but there's more to it. So but he was reminding us here and this is important that all people are different and we need to be able to discriminate between them. So he was just saying that we don't want to be robots in the way we share the gospel with all people or in the way we talk about Jesus, that we need to consider the person before us, that we have a high calling of being ambassadors for Christ, and that we want to do our best in the position that we've been given by the Lord. And in sharing the gospel and witnessing to others, we can't say, and I'm, I'm going to quote Dr. Jones here. He said, well, I'm like this, and this is just my temperament, and this is the way of doing things. No, he says, continues here, with the Apostle Paul, we must become all things to all men, that they may by all means save some. To the Jew he becomes as a Jew, to the Gentile as a Gentile, to them that were under the law as under the law to this end. Okay, so that's the first place we need to start. He reminded us that our witnessing can't be mechanical or rude. And then when someone responds to us as a, as a quote, dog or quote, pig, we think that we've been persecuted for the sake of Jesus. And the reality is we've just witnessed like really rudely or unlovingly or basically in, in a wrong way. So if you're sharing the gospel and it's getting heated or you're raising your voice and now it's becoming more of, I'm going to win the argument rather than I'm going to represent Christ and speak truth and love with this person, that's going to be a problem. Another reminder is, we wouldn't handle, I mean, you know this, you, you wouldn't handle someone broken over their sin and someone with the attitude of a Pharisee in the same way, right? We need to understand what is appropriate for each person in each situation. We don't want to get into a debate with an unbeliever over doctrines, but we want to bring them back to the doctrine of justification by faith. It needs to begin here. They are dead in their sin. Dead, right? Dead men don't do anything. Dead men have no no love for God's word or understanding. So unless the Lord opens their eyes to the great need of Jesus, they're going to remain to the truth of God, as the text says, dogs or pigs. Sin makes men very antagonistic to the truth. They, they don't want anything to do with it. It's, it's enmity towards God there. They're blind. They're opposed to God. So we need to have patience with others because of their spiritual condition. Outside of Christ, they are under the dominion of Satan. They are not going to appreciate what is holy, and they're going to be God-haters. When we begin witnessing with this in mind, we're in a better place to have love and compassion and patience with others. We were once there too. We need to be so mindful of that. We were once in their position. We were dead in our sin. It is only by the grace of God we go. They need to be born again. They need a new, a new nature. James Montgomery Boyce reminds us that the Bible is not for the unbeliever, and the only truth that is for him is the truth of his own sinfulness with the offer of salvation through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reminds us that the ethics of Christianity are not for the unbeliever. I want to quote him here. He says, We saw at the beginning of these studies 
at the beginning, he's talking about the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, that it was for the poor in spirit, not the proud, those who mourn for their sin, not the carefree, the ones whom God has made meek, not the boastful, to those to whom these teachings are given. You must have the spirit of Christ within before you can take up his ethics. End quote there. But I do want to address here what, what most of us have heard regarding this verse. And it's it's preaching the gospel to unbelievers. I'm just giving the simple thing that we've all heard. It's preaching the gospel to unbelievers who are hardened in their heart and they mock and despise it. So we see in scripture how Jesus and the other apostles, at times they shook the dust off their feet and they moved on. William Barclay wrote on this. He said, it is often impossible to talk to some people about Jesus Christ. Their insensitiveness, their moral blindness, their intellectual pride and cynical mockery, the tarnishing film may make the impervious to words about Christ. But it is always possible to show men Christ and the weakness of the church lies not in lack of Christian arguments, but in lack of Christian lives. So we need discernment, my friends, to how to handle the word of God and be mindful of the different people and their spiritual condition that we are dealing with. We want the gospel to be offensive. We, we don't want to be offensive in our mannerisms or interaction with them or the way that we're speaking to them. As believers, we've been given the true riches and they are found in God's word. They are our treasure. A.W. Pink said, he said, we may lose our health and wealth, our friends and fame, yet this treasure remains. Here is a lamp for the darkest night. He's referencing Psalm 119, 105 there. Here is to be found comfort in the sorest affliction. Psalm 119, 50. Here are to be obtained songs for our pilgrimage. Psalm 119, 54. He says we need to continue. Well, that's the end of his quote there. I'm so sorry. But we need to continue to treasure these pearls that we've been given. We need to dig and cultivate and treasure them, right? We want to hold them in our heart as David reminds us in Psalm 119, 11, that I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because as we, my friend, dig into God's word and we let it do its work in our hearts, we're going to be ready to have that beam removed from our eyes so we're able to see clearly to help our friend in need. We want to see others with an eye of love and compassion, not with an eye of judgment and criticism. We want to understand and show proper discernment and how to share God's truth with others in a right and God-honoring way, taking into consideration the different types of people and situations that we're going to encounter. So I do pray that we will examine our hearts and we're going to ask the Lord to help us see where we're not showing mercy and where we're being critical and harsh in judgment, where we're not thinking of others as more significant than ourselves, and that our own faults will be clear before us, and that we're going to see ourselves as we really are. And that's going to keep 1 Corinthians 13 at the forefront of our thoughts. Let me just um, read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 
Jesus truly is enough always, my friend. I am so grateful for you. And as always, the main show notes are at the blog. They'll be at thankfulhomemaker.com. If you've not become a subscriber to the blog yet and join my little community to access the free library of resources, I'd love you to do that. You get a bunch of different free printables and you get my bi-monthly newsletter with resources and articles, usually short devotional, and just things that I'm reading, doing, working on, come across that that I love. So I'd love you to... Um, to take part in that and it's free so check it out at my at my blog under the if you click at the top it says free library click on that and it'll take you right to it and I'll link to it in the show notes you don't even have to remember that but I am so grateful for you my friend and I do pray you have a very blessed week 